Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. One of the things that I always kind of worry just a little bit about is when I'm introduced as the president of a theological seminary because people have certain impressions about seminary presidents. And one of the fears that I dare say pulses through this group when you hear president of the seminary is this guy going to give me an academic lecture? No. I am here to preach a sermon. I'm here to try to speak to your hearts as well as your minds. So fear not. Dr. J, that's, that's what they call me. Uh, now, you know why they call me that, right? Because I can dunk it from the free throw line. No. I o- only in my dreams, only in my dreams can I do that. But I've always been a fan of Dr. J. At any rate, my topic, my sermon topic, is the mission of God. What is it? How do we think about it? And what is the mission of God's church? The people. What is is your mission? How are you to carry out and to serve God's mission? When I talk about the mission of God, I always like to begin with good news. The gospel itself. That orients me personally, and I trust it will orient you to this topic of the mission of God. When I say mission of God, I'm talking about God's overarching plan for the universe. The good news for us is we get, a, we get an insight into that, and it can kind of help us as we orient our lives and think about our faith and how we engage the world. So I want to begin with the good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. And these days, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm, I, I kind of need a little, little pop of good news from time to time. Uh, I'm a church historian by training. And so uh, I, my, my head is full of examples of people and quotes from the past. Let me mention one. William Tyndale, a 16th century, century English, perform, uh, English reformer, uh, he tra- he's famous for translating the Bible from Latin into English. And for that, he lost his life. But he did a great thing. And when he was talking about the gospel or the good news, this is how he defined it. It's, a, it's kind of a unique definition. He defined the gospel as joyful tidings that maketh a heart glad and maketh us maketh us to sing dance and leap for joy now that's a definition that's a little different for particularly for an academic like he was 
And what he's talking about is that the gospel, the good news, should impact us from the top of our heads down to our feet, even to the point of dancing. Now, I'm not going to cut the rug for anybody. You don't, you don't want to see that. But if I could dance, I would probably dance for joy at the notion of the good news of God's overarching plan that he has in view for all of us. And one of the things I really like about Tyndale's definition of the gospel is that it includes the whole human being, the mind and the heart and the emotions. It's a kind of holistic response to the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that's right. I think we should respond to the good news of Jesus Christ from top to bottom. I think that's how powerful it is. We're not just disembodied intellects. We are complete human beings. Head, heart, and hands. We're all of those things. And he grasped that certainly back in the 16th century. Now, I hope you'll agree with me that the gospel, the good news, is not just about a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. It's not just about dotting your I's and crossing your T's, theologically speaking. It's, it's not just about walking down an aisle and saying, I believe in Jesus. It, it may be those things. I'm too much of an academic to say that the gospel doesn't have something to do with my head and how I understand that. That's part of who we are. But I think it's important to realize that the gospel touches us at the deepest part of who we are. It reorients our lives intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And what is it? What is it about the good news that does that to a person? That makes you want to sing and dance and leap for joy? It's a fundamental fact. When we're talking about the mission of God, what God's overarching plan, what motivates God's plan for this universe is the transforming power of love. Love. I'm going to talk about love this morning. It is a powerful thing. And it is absolutely transformative. It is God's love... For his creation, for its redemption, and for his glorification in the new heavens and the new earth. New earth. It covers the whole arc of God's plan. And all of that, the mission of God, and by the way, our mission, but the mission of God has to do with love. It begins with love. The gospel begins 
at its core with love. Our mission, God's mission, is a mission of love. If you understand nothing else of what I say, remember that. The mission, the plan for God's, for this world, is God's love. The mission of God is grounded in the triune God. Father, you heard Nate say it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's interesting about that, we, we think of the Trinity sometimes, I mean, I've read so many books on the Trinity that are very abstract and philosophical. And I think that kind of misses something really, really important about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very fact that God has always been three in one. Now, I don't understand the math there. But the fact that God has been three in one suggests that God is a relational God. God the Father is in relationship with God the Son, who's in relationship with God the Spirit. It's a relational God that we have. He's about relationships. Relationships of love. So when you hear the word Trinity, I'd rather you not think first and foremost about math, three and one. I'd like you first to think about this God is eternally relational. He's in relationship with himself. And guess what? He's in relationship with us as well. This rocks my world. It's, it's a, a different way of coming at who God is and why he has this grand mission of love. I have a colleague, Steve Taylor, who is a wonderful thinker at the seminary, teaches New Testament. And he and I have written up a little piece. He's written something, and then I've written something to introduce it. He wrote what, what for me, was just one of the best definitions of the mission of God that I've ever come across. In fact, the first time I read it, it, it sent a shiver down my spine. I mean, it really grabbed hold of me. So I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to charge you a penny for this. Here's what my brother Steve, here's how he describes the mission of God. It is the infinite expansion of God's loving community. I, the community of the Trinity throughout the universe by means of his image bearers of creatures who are capable of receiving, celebrating, reflecting back, and extending God's love. The infinite expansion of God's love. That's the definition of God's plan. That's what he's all about. He's been in eternal relationship with himself. And that relationship of love is expanding throughout the universe. And the really wonderful news is that 
He's using us. Every one of us in that expansion of love. I'm an academic, but that rocked my world. That touched me in my heart. That's a wonderful thing. And I absolutely love it. So the mission of God uh, defines who God is in himself, relational, and what he does in this world. Amazingly enough, according to that definition of my friend Steve, the love of God begets love on our part. Love begets love. I mean, is that a surprise to anybody else? If you're loved, you've got to get it back, give it back. That's what happens. Now, one of the things that uh, I think about, this is, I don't know, something academics do. When I read the story of the creation of human beings in Genesis 1, there is a little phrase in Hebrew. God creates the days, and after each day, God pronounces, it is good. It is good. Except when he comes to the creation of human beings with whom he is going to have a relationship of love. And what does God say at the conclusion of creating human beings? He says, it's not just good, it is very good. And inherent in that, that pronouncement, very good, is this notion of God's expanding love. Isn't that very good? Well, from a relational God, it is good. According to Scripture, God's incredible plan, His mission of love, was disrupted by sin. But here's the thing I want you to get. Yes, there was a disruption. God had a plan, and things kind of went awry there early on in Genesis. But the part I want you to get, the part that suggests that God's love yet continues. And that's this. God's plan was disrupted, but God's plan cannot be overthrown. He comes back very quickly. He never gave up his original intention to bring about reconciliation and renewal. He never gave up on his plan. He overcame it. And so for the people of God, the people with whom God is in relationship, we are privileged to play a role in God's plan of restoration, reconciliation, and recreation. Now, one of the pivot points in this grand scheme of God, this grand mission, is after the fall. And one of the great key stories in the Old Testament is a story of Abraham. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. Abraham represents, in Genesis 12, the absolute, and I'm going to use a word, relentless love, a love, a love that cannot be overcome even by the devil. 
That's what Genesis 12, that's what Abraham represents. God's relentless, and let me say it, God's fierce love. Nothing is going to stop it. And that's what Genesis 12 is about. I'll be brief. In Genesis 12, the first four verses, when God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, he says, I will make you, Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you, in turn, will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you notice that word blessed happened? He just repeated over and over and over again. This is God's relentless determination. God's relentless love. That his plan will not be overthrown. It's an affirmation of God's original plan. I think the way I describe those four blessings, I will bless you, you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. I think that is God's declaration of defiance. My plan will not be overthrown. I will bless, I will love, I will be in relationship with people, my creation. Nothing is going to stop that. Now, if I'm Tyndale, I'm going to jump up and down and I'm going to shout for joy. Because that's really good news, folks. That is incredibly good news. Notice he repeats the word bless four times. Bless, 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 bless. When you see that in the Bible, in a short space, that suggests a level of intensity. God is trying to make a point. In this case, he will... Love. His love will overcome. That, that rocks my world. I, I, can't, I can't even quite take it all in. It's so wonderful. But there it is. This love that will not be defeated is also expansive. Notice that my friend Steve defined God's eternal Mission as God's infinite expansion of His. It's just not just X amount of love, it's love exponentially. It's love, 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 love. It gets bigger and more profound by every minute, by every second. This is an expanding love. Profound. I mean, this is not the way we think about love typically. I call it a fierce love. Notice when I say expansive that in Genesis 12, talking about the four blessings, God says at an individual level, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. It's a one-on-one -on -one deal. Well, pretty soon, this blessing becomes the nation Israel, the children of Abraham. 
So it goes from an individual to a nation. And the last blessing says the whole world. It's expanding from an individual to a nation to everybody. What love is this? What kind of love is this? It's, it's something I, I'm stunned by. And I hope that you are too. This isn't an academic lecture, is it? I hope this is touching you someplace where you live. This mission of God, this restoration of God's mission demands faith. In Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews reflects back upon the call of Abraham. See, I told you it was a pivotal point in God's redemptive plan. So the author of Hebrews is thinking back about how significant Abraham was. And he says, in verse 11, By faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. Abraham, at some level, knew, and again, I don't know how much detail he had, but at some level, he was going to the city of God. He was 75 years old, and he marched 2,000 miles on foot through difficulties of all sorts, and he makes his way to the promised land. This is a remarkable kind of faith that God is asking of us as we live out the mission of God in our own lives, this mission of love. Think about just a second, this Hebrews 11 passage, just a couple of quick points. This missional faith is a fierce faith. God is, has a fierce love that is evoking in us a fierce faith. Here's what I mean by that. A fierce faith. It wasn't easy to do what Abraham did. 75 years old, walking 2,000 miles. And he didn't know quite where he was going. That's not easy. He faced famine. He faced war. His wife was kidnapped by the Pharaoh. I mean, he had lots of challenges on the way. So he had to have a fierce, determined kind of faith. A faith that can face obstacles and press forward. A second missional faith aspect. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham didn't know exactly where he was going. He knew he was going to the promised land. But he didn't know exactly how he was going to get there. This is really important. None of us knows how we're going to get from here to there. There are unforeseen challenges that we face. Can I get an amen? No, I know I mean a real amen. amen. I'm looking at your faces, and I don't know you individually, but I know, I know you face challenges. I mean real stuff. 
I'm not talking about theological debates or even political debates. I'm talking about the stuff that knocks you off your stride. Where you're having trouble coping with life. Quick example. About 16 years ago, I was flying high. I had finished my doctorate at Oxford University. I mean, I'm something. My career, wonderful. My marriage to Carolyn, out of this world. I'm flying high, brothers and sisters. I'm going, I'm going straight up. And I get a phone call, roughly about midnight, one evening. On the phone was my mother. And she said, your brother Kelly, your baby brother, is in real trouble. He's trapped on a mountain in Oregon. And we can't find him. Kelly was climbing Mount Hood in preparation to climb Mount Everest. He was a climber. And he and his two buddies made their way up the mountain, and suddenly the storm of the century hit Mount Hood. Not a big mountain. And so they dug a snow cave. That's standard procedure. They got in the snow cave. Kelly apparently had injured his shoulder and was having trouble getting around. So they tried to wait a day, two days, to see if the storm would subside. It did not. And finally, Kelly says to his two buddies, look, you try to make it through the storm and get down and bring up help because I'm hurt. And I remember the rescue party showed me pictures of the footprints of two people walking down the mountain and suddenly they stop. They were blown off the mountain. Their bodies were never found. Still haven't been found to this day. Kelly remained, he didn't know what had happened to them. And as he's lying there, freezing to death, he's clicking his cell phone. I mean, he's under about two feet of snow on a mountain in Oregon trying to connect to his wife in Dallas, Texas. And by some incredible miracle, he got through. Nobody understands how the technology worked. I call it a miracle. And he had... Six minutes to say goodbye to his wife. And two of his children. And the three families had called me to go out and to to be the spokesperson for the three families. And day after day after day, the rescue team tried to get up the mountain to find Kelly and the two friends. And every day the storm pushed them back. Seven days and every day I'm doing press conferences on CNN and I am declaring my faith. After seven days, the storm ends and they find Kelly's body. Sometimes there's no... No way to anticipate what's going to happen. You can't control the things you can't control. 
and God's love at some fun, fundamental, profound level. And this fierce faith he gives us has got to carry us through somehow. So I don't talk in the abstract about a fierce faith or a fierce love of God. It is not an abstraction to me. And I know that as a matter of fact, for you, it's not just theoretical or an abstraction. We live in the same world. We have the same heartbeat. We have the same struggles. But we look forward. We look to a city whose architect and builder is God. And by God's grace, you and I, we see the grand mission of God and we get to participate in it. This grand mission of love and we get to live it out as hard as it may be at times. It's still a mission of love. And I experience that even in my heartbreak. And I know you do too. I will end by simply saying that God's mission, our mission ultimately is a mission of love and that we are to have a fierce, fierce faith. Amen. Oh. Dr. James, thank you so much. Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to pray for our congregation okay. that we would have a fierce faith. Uh, before you do that, um, just maybe one question. I know the, the kind of tagline of Missio Seminary, mm -hmm. uh, Mission of God, is following Jesus into the world. Yeah. yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that tagline, yeah, yeah. what it means to you personally yeah. as well as to the yeah. seminary as a whole. Yeah. Uh, following God into the world, I mean, I, I think it's so important to realize that following God, and I think I've said it in many ways, it's, it's not just merely intellectual apprehension. It's not just about getting your theology right. As important as that is, by the way, I, I'm not at all minimizing the importance of getting your theology right. But when you follow Jesus in the world, and I mentioned this earlier, when I walk outside of our building, sometimes I have to step over a person who's drugged out and can't move. And I may have to do that two or three times if I walk down the street. So what does it mean for me to follow Jesus into the world, the world where there are people who are struggling with opioid addiction, for example? Well, it means I've got to have my heart broken again every time I step over a person. I've got to also ask myself, is there anything that I can reasonably do? I can't do everything, brothers and sisters. I don't have all the money in the world. I don't have all the time in the world. I got a full-time job, by the way. But what can I do? And that leads, has led me to the opioid task force to sort of join in with others to try to address those kinds of questions. So it's following Jesus personally, but doing it also in the world. Yeah, I love that. Just being present where Jesus yeah. would be present. Absolutely. Uh, if you could simply pray for Southridge Community Church, this congregation, uh, that we would be faithful to God's mission.
mm. uh, that we would be fierce in our faith, uh, that we would pursue this mission of the God of love and walk into this world with Jesus that would be a blessing to us. Father, I ask your blessing, that word that you used in Genesis 12, that very intense, powerful, defiant word that the devil will not stop you from accomplishing your mission. May that pervade this group of people, this specific group of people. May your relationship with yourself overflow into your relationship with each person here. Grant them a fierce faith, a faith that will not be deterred, a faith that will persevere during the hard times. Be with us all as we go from this place. May we seek to serve you and to serve you well, both in our homes, in our churches, and then beyond. May we be a blessing to all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just a couple things. Uh, number one, there's a table out in the back uh, with some brochures from Missio Seminary, some staff there as well. If you'd like to connect with someone about the seminary, feel free to do that. We'd love to connect with you. They're right over at the kiosks. Also, our prayer team will be down here to the left. Uh, you're right. Love to pray for you as well. Uh, God bless. Why don't we thank Dr. James for coming one more time. Thank you. Thank you. And may we together uh, fulfill God's mission in this world. God bless.